Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who may be new uh, to CTK, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, it is great to be with you, uh, to gather together and to come to God's Word. And, and if you are new with us, uh, maybe this is your first Sunday or first Sunday in a while, or, or maybe you're uh, tuning in on the live stream um, and, and you haven't been with us before, you're joining us in the midst of uh, a series that we are doing in the book of Psalms. So every single summer, we return to the Psalms. We come back to them again and again and again. And we don't go one through 150. We jump around. And, and by my count, we've got about another 11 to 15 years before we'll finish it out. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, we, we've got a long, long way to go. But, um, but we return to the Psalms every summer because the Psalms are this wonderful expression of God's word that tells us an awful lot about who God is, but also it helps us to know how to appropriate ourselves within this world, how we are to engage in this world as God's people and how we are to respond to him as he reveals himself to us. And the Psalms do this in beautiful poetry, in song, in hymns, in laments, in wisdom. And so that's why we come back to them every single summer. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 127. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 127. In a moment, it'll be projected on the screens in front of you. And Psalm 127 is a song of ascents. This is uh, one of the psalms that uh, is found between Psalms 120 and 134. So these 15 psalms were songs of ascent. And these were used by God's people as they would go to Jerusalem for their annual pilgrimage. So they would come from all over Israel. They would come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And as they approached Jerusalem, as they went to this great city, these words would be in their hearts and these songs would be on their lips. They would sing of who God is and how they are to live. And this particular psalm is authored by Solomon. It's one of two psalms in the Psalter that are attributed to Solomon. And this one is a wisdom psalm. A wisdom psalm. Now, wisdom, uh, biblical wisdom, as my favorite Old Testament theologian Jack Collins would say, is the art of biblical living. Wisdom is the art of biblical living. It tells us what wise and godly life looks like. And that's what this psalm does for us. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 127. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the Psalms. We thank you that you have preserved these words for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us now because we, we want to be men and women who are wise. We want to be understanding. We want to honor you in all of our ways. And so to do that, we need your help. So I pray that you would help us now, that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you. For you are our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
So I think that there's a single phrase in the English language that every single one of us hates to utter. I wonder if you could think of maybe one or two of those. There's one that comes to my mind. It's the phrase, I need help. I hate to say that. Uh, personally, I hate to say that. <laughs> I need help. I don't want to say, can you help me, right? I don't like calling up a friend. I don't like picking up the phone. I don't like saying, hey, can you come by and help me do this or that? You know, like maybe if I had of, I wouldn't have cut my arm with a chainsaw. But regardless, you know, that's, I don't like to say I need help. And neither do you. You know how I know you don't? Because I want you to think about a conversation that maybe you've had with your friend. A friend who was in need of help. A friend who was struggling or experiencing difficulty. A friend who, who could have benefited from just saying those words, I need help. And, and you're talking to your friend after the fact when the need is no more. And what do we say to our friend or what do they say to us? We say, well, why didn't you call? Why didn't you tell us you needed help? I, I could have prayed for you. I could, have, I could have brought you a meal. I could have run your kids to wherever they needed to go. Why didn't you tell us? You needed help. And what do they say, or, or what do we say to them? I know. You're right. But I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to have to depend on someone else. I thought that I could handle it myself. I didn't want to admit that I needed help. Right? And when we say that, what we're acknowledging is, is that we don't like to need help. Because as soon as we say we need help, what we're acknowledging is that we are dependent creatures. That we, that I, can't do everything ourselves, myself. That we have limits. Right? We have limits. We don't like that idea that we have limits. Do you remember that Sprint commercial from a number of years ago? It was advertising a new data plan. And I forget all the pictures that showed up, but there was a voiceover that came across as they were showing all these pictures of this wonderful, you know, these people who have this new data plan, they're so happy and joyful and all these sorts of things because they have this new Sprint plan. And the voiceover says, I need, no, I have the right to be unlimited. And then the tagline came across the bottom, I am unlimited. We don't like limits. The writer Tish Harrison Warren, she writes about this idea of having limits. She says, this message we receive from our culture, no limits. Nothing should stop you, slow you down, or limit your freedom. Not even human embodiment. You can be unlimited, and if you're not, someone's to blame. We believe that we need better technology, better efficiency, and better organization so that we can exist as people unbridled from creaturely limits. We don't like limits. We don't like to depend upon another. Because if we have to depend upon another, it means that we're not independent. But here's the thing, y'all. We are dependent creatures. And that's what this psalm is showing us. That we are dependent, and the one in whom we are dependent upon is the Lord, is God. Now, for most of us, we have no problem thinking that 
we need to depend upon God, right? The big things in life, our salvation when we first believed, of course we're going to depend on God. When sickness comes, those big aspects of life, of course. When, when that moment comes right before death, right? As we get closer and closer to that day when we transition from this life into the next, of course that's when we'll depend upon God. But for the day-to-day, the normal, the mundane, I think most of us think, you know, I got this. I can handle it. Sure, I need God for the big things of life, but, but I don't need to depend upon God for the moment by moment every day. That's how we operate. We operate like maturing in our faith, growing in our walk is like a child who is slowly progressing towards adulthood, who needs their parents less and less and less. We start to think that if, if I'm maturing, if I'm growing, then I will need God less today than I did yesterday. And I'll need him less tomorrow than I did today. That, that that's how sometimes we operate. But, but friends, dependence on God never goes away. Dependence on God is not a product of the fall. We are created to be dependent upon the Lord, not just for salvation, but for the very air that we breathe and every part of life. And that's what Solomon is teaching us. That's what wise living looks like. It looks like depending upon the Lord. And Solomon gives us three aspects of our life where we can depend upon the Lord, where we're called to depend on the Lord. In our labors, in our rest, and in our families. He begins with depending on the Lord in our labors. We see it in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So these are two common professions in the ancient world, home builders and city watchmen. Now we know what home builders are because we still have those. But a watchman on a city wall, they would stand and they would look out from, uh, from the city wall and they would look out into the wilderness and they would watch as inhabitants would come near to, so that they could throw open the gates and welcome them in. But they would also watch for marauders, right? For those who are coming to bring evil and destruction upon the city. The city watchers, the watchmen on the wall, were like the early warning signal for the city. And so what Solomon is saying is that in these labors, the builder, the, the watchman... That unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, they watch and they build in vain. And as we hear that, it's easy for us to think that, that the problem here is the, pref- the professions themselves. That if they were doing something more spiritual, then there would be no vanity. Then what they were doing would not be in vain. Right? We sometimes think that, don't we? I mean, the pastor the missionary, the Christian educator. Those are the real spiritual things, right? Everything else is just kind of, it's just in vain. I remember a number of years ago before Kat and I went to seminary, we were eating dinner with some friends of ours. It was a going away dinner with them. This was a bunch of couples that Kat had met through cycling. And we're in Greenville right before we were moving to St. Louis. And, and we're sitting there and we're talking and I'm telling them all about what I'm about to go do. I'm going to seminary and I'm going to be a pastor and why I want to do it. And I'm excited about all these sorts of things. And at one point, one of the people that we were eating with, he interjects. 
Now, the people in the room were, you know, me and Kat, so I'm about to go to seminary. And then we had a lawyer, a college professor, an engineer, and someone who helped with international adoptions. So pretty good professions, right? Valued in our culture. And I remember the lawyer interjects, and he says, well, at least we know Penny will find satisfaction in his work. And everyone else stayed quiet, but they nodded approval. And I have to tell you, I, I didn't know what to make of that at the time. I wasn't sure what to say. It, it shocked me, right? A, a lawyer, a, a, someone who does international adoption, a college professor, like, let, well, at least the pastor will find satisfaction. You see, it became very clear that they had a view of their work, of their labor, as being vain because of the nature of the work itself. That I would have significance, but they wouldn't. And it's easy for us to think that way. But that's not what Solomon said, is it? That's not what Solomon says. He's not saying that work itself is vain. He's saying that work apart from God is vain. In fact, we know that before the fall, before Adam and Eve ever rebelled, right? What, what did Adam do? What was given to him? Work. Labor. Toiling in the garden. Adam was a farmer. Before there was Wendell Berry, there was Adam. <laughs> you see, the problem isn't with the work itself. The problem is with work done apart from God. That's the unless of verse 1. Unless doesn't mean that the builder or the watchman don't build or watch, they don't just stand back and do nothing and go, well, well, you know, Lord, you're, you're going to provide. Bricks will just magically appear and houses will be built. And right, that's not what it's saying. The unless means that as we go about our labors as house builders and housemakers, as, as lawyers and doctors, as, as watchmen and engineers, as preachers and as child raisers and education, that we do these things in dependence on the Lord. Now, in saying this, Solomon isn't saying that if, if you go about your work, if you seek to do your labors apart from the Lord, that you will automatically fail. It's not what he's saying. In fact, you may still build the house or change the diaper or educate the child and, and you can actually still be successful, right? Like, like y'all are pretty successful people. Y'all are some of the smartest people I know. You're smart, you're capable, you're able, you have great gifts. And it'd be easy for us to think, well, I don't need to depend on the Lord, right? I can, I can do this on my own. Solomon's not saying that that it will automatically fail if you go about your labors apart from the Lord. It's not what it means to be in vain. What he means is that they will lead nowhere. That from God's perspective, it is vanity. It is vain to do anything apart from him. We labor and we toil and we build and we watch for the glory of God. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And in Colossians 3, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You see, in our labors, in our work, we are to, to, 
to depend upon God. But we also depend upon God, not just in our labors, but also in our rest. Look at verse 2. Solomon says, It is in vain that, they ri- that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So the picture that Solomon's giving us here is the person who never stops. They rise early and they go to bed late and they are full of anxious toil. This person never stops. They're consumed by work and labor and worry. They never rest. They never sleep. It reminds me of an interview that Eugene Peterson gave with Christianity Today in 2015. Eugene Peterson, a well-known pastor and author who has since gone to be with the Lord. In this interview, he says this, I was wearing myself out. I remember thinking, I'm a puppy dog. Somebody throws a Frisbee and says, get it, and I run and get it, and come back and do it again. Fetch was the one word I knew really well. I did a lot of fetching, but I never learned how to sit. You hear that? I never learned how to sit. I never learned how to rest. Do you all feel that? You all feel that your that that your life is is never stopping, that you are running from project to project, assignment to assignment, from field to field. The boss calls fetch. The children scream fetch. You have this low internal hum that whispers fetch. We don't stop. And when we don't stop, what we are expressing is a lack of reliance on the Lord. We are expressing the belief that we think we are without limits, that we don't need him, that we just are going to toil and labor and go and go and go. The theologian John Stott was commenting on this particular verse, and he once said that what is condemned is worry on the one hand and feverish, self-confident activity on the other, and both are symptoms of unbelief. And if I could add to the great John Stott, humbly add to the great John Stott, both are symptoms of not depending on the Lord. You see, friends, when we stop and rest and sleep, we are actually surrendering control of our lives to the Lord. We are acknowledging to the Lord that we are not limitless. We are depending upon him. And this is what the Lord desires of us. Did you see at the end of verse 2? God gives his beloved sleep. I mean, have you ever thought, like, sleep is a gift from the Lord. Rest is a gift from the Lord. Not when we're just exhausted and we can't, you know, we just fall over and we are basically dead, right? Like, no, no, rest. When we rest and we stop from our labors and we cease from anxious toil, we are trusting the Lord will work even as we do not. That we can stop for eight or ten hours. I mean, think about, think about the Sabbath. Take this day that has been set aside for work or for rest and for worship. This day that God has put into the fabric of creation. 
The regular rhythm of our lives is supposed to be that we would take a day where we would stop from our normal toil, where we would stop from our normal labors, where we would be in essence saying to God, we believe that you will provide seven days worth of need and six days worth of labor. When we are unwilling to stop, to rest, we're depending on ourselves, not the Lord. But God wants us to depend upon him. God gives his beloved sleep. In our labors and in our rest, we depend upon God. But finally, we depend upon God in our families. And we see that in verses 3 through 5. Now, at first glance, verses 1 through 2 and verses 3 through 5, which make up the two parts of our psalm, they seem so different that it appears that maybe they don't even go together. In fact, some have speculated that maybe verses 3 through 5 were part of another psalm or another Solomonic statement, and they were later, uh, later put together with verses 1 through 2 because it appears that there's no unifying theme, but, but I don't think that's the case for a couple of reasons. One, some theologians point out the language of house in verse 1. That theme is now picked up on in verses 3 through 5 with household. But that more importantly, actually, the theme of dependence is shown throughout. Even in verses 3 through 5, we see dependence because in verse 4, Solomon says, the children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. That word for heritage, it has the sense of inheritance. Something that is given without being earned or deserved. And that's what children are. They are an inheritance from the Lord. He is the one who gives families children. He is the one who grows families. And we know this, right? Like, we, we know that it is the Lord who gives children, right? Because it doesn't matter how much we try. It doesn't matter how much we work. It doesn't matter how great our technology is. If, our, if the Lord is not going to give us children, then, then we won't have them. And so for our families to grow, we have to depend upon the Lord. For our families to mature, for our families to be families of faith, we have to depend upon the Lord. And let's just be honest, of the three, right, labor and rest and families, this one is probably the easiest for us to wrap our minds around, that, that yes, we need to depend on the Lord in our families. But we express our dependence, not just by acknowledging it, but by having our thoughts aligned more and more with God's. And what does God say about our families, about children in particular? That they're a blessing. Look at verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They're a blessing. Now let me just say as an aside, some people have tried to use this verse sometimes to argue for um, biblical evidence that we should have really, really big families. Um, Now let me just say big families are good, okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. They're good, they're a blessing, they're, they're, they're a good thing if, if that's what the Lord would have for you. But that's not what this passage is saying. The passage isn't getting at that you should have three or, or five or, or maybe eight is enough. You know, like that's, that's not what the passage is talking about. It's not telling us the size of what our family should be. What the passage is telling us is our understanding of what our children are. And what our children are is a blessing. Not a mistake, not a nuisance, not an annoyance, a blessing. 
So I wonder if we think of our children that way. And not just our children, but like the children of our church that way. Right? Like I, I consider it a great blessing that we are part of a church that has so many children. Right? And we say that every during COVID tide, right? Is Maybe this is a new church season, I don't know. But during COVID, right, that's what we've been saying week after week, right? We, we love our children. We are thankful for them to be in the service. We love our children. We are glad that they are here. God loves our children, so we love, right, they are a blessing. We say this again and again and again, but, but I wonder. I wonder if we actually really have embraced that. If we really believe it. I mean, how do we engage with our kids? How do we think about them? You know, Jesus himself, do you remember when the disciples, they wanted to keep the kids away from him? Because Jesus was an important guy, and he had important people to talk to, and he had important things to talk about, but what did Jesus say to his disciples? Don't, Don't keep them away, let the children come to me. Jesus wanted the children to be in his presence. They weren't they weren't little human beings that were to be, uh, to be ignored or, or should just be quiet or should never make their presence known. No, he, he said, come, let, let them come to me. Let the children come to me. If Jesus would invite the blessing of children into his presence, shouldn't we? I've been thinking about this in this season because this season that we're in right now, and this isn't just our children, like our own children, Sometimes we wish they were someone else's blessing. I understand. But, but I'm not just talking about our personal children, but the children of our church. And I was thinking about this in regards to our leadership, because we're in the season of officer nominations. And I was thinking about this, as we are thinking about those who would lead our church. If a leader has no time for children, then we should have no time for their leadership. And y'all, that is not hyperbole. That is not hyperbole. Children are a blessing. That's what God says about them. They're a blessing. They are a gift from the Lord, and not just for our own individual families, but for our church family. And so we depend upon the Lord for our families and for our rest and for our labors. And so, y'all, do you see that, that to be dependent, it actually isn't a sign of immaturity. But to depend on the, lo- on the Lord is actually a sign of maturity. It's a sign of maturity. So as, as I close, I want you to just think about like this. When Adam was in the garden and he rebelled against God and he sinned against him, when he ate the fruit... Adam was seeking to live independently from the Lord. God created him to be dependent upon him, but but Adam in his sinfulness was seeking to live independently from God. But when we fast forward from Adam to Jesus, what do we see is, is what we see is a life that is looking constantly to the Father. I mean, do you remember when Jesus was tempted? How did he respond to his temptation? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And later in the book of John, he said, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And do you remember his last words on the cross in the gospel of Luke? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, what we see in Jesus time and again is that he is the true man, the better Adam, who went to the cross and died for our sins. And even in his last moments, he was dependent upon the Father. Hey, y'all, we, we can't outmature Jesus. If Jesus was dependent on the Father, so must we. Because apart from God, our rest, our labor, our families, they're vain. And so we depend on God in our families and in our rest and in our labors. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us work to do with our hands. We thank you that you have given us rest from our work. We are thankful that you have provided us families and families in this church. And I pray that in all these ways, in all these areas of life, that we would not seek to live apart from you, but instead we would live dependent upon you. For Father, we are in need of your help. Allow those words to fill our mouths and to flow past our lips. We need you. And so we ask that you would help us. Make us dependent people more and more so that we would live as your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and God's people said together, amen.